is a well-respected high school football scout, known for his unpopular opinion and brash commentary. The coach, Keith Miller. He's a well-respected national high school football recruiting analyst. Craig, Craig Biggins. Together they bring you the transparent truth, the world's number one source for high school football recruiting news and interviews. The transparent truth. Tr- 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 ha ha. Welcome, welcome. You're now listening to The Transparent Truth. It's your boy, Coach Keith. I got my baby boy in here. Not my baby boy, but I got my young son, Austin Miller's in the building. Coming off a huge game last week in a scrimmage, but he's in here. And it's the transparent truth, and we're in here. Intercom, Wilshire and Maslin. And man, do we got a great show for you. We got to break down recruiting with Greg Biggins. Speaking of Greg Biggins, GB, are you there? Ha ha, sure am. <laughs> I'm good. I freak out my dog every time I do that. It's kind of sad, but uh, it was good to have the, the best Miller <laughs> in the building. Actually, your wife is, is lovely and talented, but hey, Keith, you're running third. That's not bad, though. I am running third. Uh, What's up, my- Austin? Hey, Austin's here. His mic is shut off now, but okay. um, I am running third. My beautiful wife, she uh, she's at home working hard. But I got Austin with me, and I'm glad to have him here. It's Bring Your Kid to Work Day. And uh, he's in the Transparent Truth building is what he likes to call it. And so we're here, and, you know, let's get a re- let's get kind of previewed of today's show, GB. We got a lot going on. We got recruiting with you. Uh, we got a sleeper of the week kind of in the, uh, uh, the northern section of Southern California. We have our top performers, which range from all over the West Coast. We're looking at recaps of all the big games this last week, some terrific matchups and great performances. Uh, and then we got a really bruh segment from me. Talk a, little, talk a little bit about the new rule in football about leading with your helmet to make contact, GB. I got some thoughts that I think, not I think, I need to share and uh, people need to be upset about when I share them. So I'm looking forward to that. But without further ado, GB, we got recruiting and you are the growth. The Transparent Truth Recruiting Report. Hit us with what you got. We had three commitments over the past week. How about, I want to say it's hot the presses, but it really isn't because today is Wednesday, but we are taping Tuesday. Yeah. Monday night about 1130, Darren Jones, 6'8", Harold Carmichael type of receiver out of Cajon High School. I think I said Cajon twice. I do that from time to time. He committed to Utah, Keith. Yeah. The University of Utah is landing just at a, it, it, he's, a he's an enigma. Yeah. He's so ultra-talented. The question everyone is going to ask and has already been asking, is he going to be able to qualify? I hope so. Um, last I heard was it's probably a 50-50 proposition, but I think it's leaning more towards yes than no. Um, I was going to say he was probably leaning the other way maybe just a few months ago, but I think Jonesy is, is taking care of his business and trying real, real hard. Uh, he'll probably play basketball and football for Utah, but they did a great job recruiting him. They really prioritized him. A lot of other schools kind of backed off a little bit. Uh, Utah pushed forward on him. And again, this is a kid who's about as physically talented a receiver as there is, not just out west, but we're talking about in the country. He's rail thin, doesn't have... Um, you know, he, he, he's not a guy who, who works out that much right now. He's not a, a weight room guy. He, he, when he gets to college and he gets the three meals a day and he gets the strength and conditioning program, I mean, this guy could really take off if he wants it. It's all up to Jonesy. He can be as good as he wants to be. But see, this is a guy, just from a talent perspective, Keith, 
I mean, he is gifted. Yeah, there's no question, GB. One thing that stands out about to me about Jones is his ability to run great routes as a oversized receiver. Most guys with that type of size can't come out of break, especially at a young age like he is. Um, they have a hard time getting their head around finding the football. This kid runs terrific routes, understands how to sell things, has terrific ball skills. His length and size are uh, already been spoken about by everybody across the country. When I ranked the top receivers in the country last year, coming into this season, GB, he was in my top 10 Darren Jones a problem H-A-P he's a problem for other teams and he will be a problem for other colleges once he gets to Utah hopefully he gets his uh, qualification his great situation under control and and gets to where he's supposed to go how about Jordan Wilmore yes or as you affectionately called him last year Jordan will score which he does pretty often 5'8 200 pounds Kind of a again. A, everyone loves comparisons. You know, he's he's short but not small, right? I mean, he's stocky, two hundred yeah. pounds. He runs extremely hard, extremely powerful. He's going to USC. I don't know if I even mentioned that, but he committed to USC. Doesn't have breakaway speed, but no one seems to catch him from behind. So, just an, an Emmett Smith is kind of who jumps into mind for me in terms of the frame, in mm. terms of the underrated ability to break a game open. Mm-hmm. And again, you're watching his tape and you're going, okay, this guy's probably a 4-7 guy, maybe a high 4-6 guy, but yet no one catches him from behind. He's a dynamic runner. He's not a dancer. He's a downhill, powerful kid, man. He runs through guys. He's got that low center of gravity at 5-8, so he's very tough to hit, never goes down on first contact. And I think for USC, they're going to take two running backs. They like Jordan a lot. They prioritized him. You know, his, his coach, Travis Clark, told me last week he's going to take his time. He's going to visit Utah. He's going to visit Boise State. So, of course, he commits to USC a couple of days later. <laughs> so, Jordan Wilmore is going to stay close to home, and he will be a Trojan, Keith. No, I, I love it. Um, reminds me of a smaller version of Stephen Carr. If you actually look at him, um, that, that, that compact frame, the ability to be explosive, but maybe not 4-3, make guys miss, run with power. Jordan Wilscore saw him first in eighth grade, playing at the Inglewood Sentinels when I was coaching at Inglewood High School. We recruited the heck out of Jordan. We wanted him to be the back of the future. Um, and the kid was this good in the eighth grade in terms of he was at the top of his class in eighth grade. We prioritized him. We wanted him badly. Uh, didn't end up staying in Inglewood to coach, but Wilmore continued to progress, continued to be a leader in his class, in that 2019 class. And look at him now. Uh, I know his father, committed to SC, big-time kid. Uh, he prioritized the game of football and wanting to play running back. And uh, I remember watching he and Shakobi Harper go at it in eighth grade. It was the Cerritos Steelers versus the Inglewood Sentinels. It was a great game. But, hey, Jordan will score. USC Trojans. Big-time player, big-time university. Hopefully he has a terrific career. Yeah, and last but not least, our third commitment of the week happened last Friday, just before his game. Jacob Bandis going to Washington. We kind of teased that a little bit. It felt like the Huskies were the team to beat there. Early on, I thought he might have been a, a Cal lean. Cal was the childhood favorite for him. Cal did a great job recruiting him. End of the day, he, he really disliked Washington, likes Coach Peterson, likes Coach Mamoy, likes their built-for-life program. Just liked everything about the school. His parents liked the school. They liked uh, the fit, the defense. Jacob Bandis, man, I'll tell you what. Uh, we have him rated much, 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 much higher. I think we have number 28 in the country. He's like rated only like 88 in the composite, which means 
everybody else has him outside their top 100. But if you saw him at the opening finals, man, you saw a guy who's who's strong, who's explosive. He can use his hands. He can finish off a play. He plays the run. Talked to some of the coaches from Narbonne, and they said he was the best player they played against all last year when they played against uh, Pittsburgh in that state game. So, uh, obviously, a lot of respect from people that played against him and, and with him. Jacob Bandis, the Washington Huskies, pulled in one of the top D tackles in the country, Keith. Yeah, there's a premium, Greg, on interior players or even defensive linemen who can play in the offensive backfield. Now, in that day and age of the spread offense, defenses are more spread out. They're more exposed in space. You have to have guys in that front four that can vertically penetrate cause havoc in the backfield and like you said GB finish plays in the backfield put offenses in negative yardage situation second and 12 third and 14 where there are obvious passing downs that way you can pin your ears back run your 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 blitz package run your zone dogs right you can be dynamic and get after quarterback defensive linemen like Jacob Bannis who you say and who we all agree are quick off the ball can get in the backfield and make plays they are a premium the dogs get a great one here, and uh, congratulations to Bandis and the Bandis family. Yeah, that's it for uh, that's it for commitments. That one guy we thought was going to commit, good friend of the program, Giles Jackson. He decided he was actually going to commit on Friday, but uh, he decided to hold off on his commitment. Said he didn't want to rush it, wanted to take more trips. He's only been officially to Michigan, although he has been unofficially to Oregon and Oregon State. He really wants to set up a, an official visit to USC. He said that was his childhood favorite school. So I think USC is, is squarely in the mix. You know, the, the thing is, I think a lot of speculation right now is, you know, we all thought Oregon was the school that he was going to commit to, and Oregon only has about three or four spots left. And you know, the, the question is, you know, can can Oregon take him right now? Do they have space for Giles? You would think a player that talented, you find a spot for, right? But right now, I think it's just kind of a numbers crunch, and Oregon still likes him. Oregon is still going to recruit him. Giles still likes them quite a bit, but USC will get a trip. Oregon State. We'll get a trip. Cal is now in the mix. They did make an initial top four. They are now in there. He's got a top five, and Cal is a local school. He loves the academics. And then, obviously, Michigan, uh, he loved that visit. And he said they are still recruiting him as a kind of a, a hybrid wide receiver slash running back. So, Dow Jackson, no commitment this week, but it will be probably later on in the year. More trips for Giles, Keith. More trips. You know, Greg, committing to a school or signing with a school is a huge decision for a young athlete, young student athlete, young student, period. And if a guy is not ready, I totally respect the fact that he's going to back up, take two steps back, take a deep breath, reevaluate his options, critically think through his opportunities, and prioritize you know, what's important to him in terms of the next three to four to five years of his life to set himself up for success as an adult. So uh, if Giles needs to back, take two steps back and, and reevaluate things, I support that. I actually encourage that. Um, there's no rush in your recruitment. People who want you, they will wait for you. Um, people who just kind of want you, they won't wait for you, and you probably don't want to go there anyway. So Giles, take your time, do what you need to do, and I'm sure you're going to be just fine make the right decision for yourself. Yeah, and, that, and that's basically it. You know, as far as new offers, I think the one that kind of jumped out for me was Keon Markham uh, was offered by UCLA. Interesting dynamic there. He's got a twin brother, Keewan, who was already offered by UCLA. They're a package deal. I think ASU 
Uh, their former head coach, Antonio Pierce, is over at ASU as a linebacker coach. I think ASU is probably the team to be, but UCLA really likes Keon Markham, the safety, quite a bit. But Keon had a big opening game for Pauly. They blew out Dorsey. Uh, Keon had a, a big kickoff return for a touchdown and also a 38-yard receiving touchdown. So UCLA went ahead and offered Keon as well. Now I think UCLA's got a legitimate shot at the Markham Twins. Uh, they, I can mention package deal, go to the same school. I still believe ASU is the team to beat. Washington is involved in there. Uh, Washington State, Oregon State is also involved. I think it probably will come down to ASU and UCLA. Uh, but uh, good to see Keon, good player, and uh, get good opening opening weekend for him and the Jack Rabbits and paid off for him getting a local offer that he kind of coveted a little bit. Yeah, listen, UCLA has got to make a move on these local athletes. They are losing out on a ton of guys. And I, I know what people are saying across Southern California is, you know, hey, Chip is waiting. The staff is waiting. They're going to wait to see games one through four. But listen, some guys are known entities. The Markham Twins are big-time playmakers with size, length, and athletic ability. And most importantly, speed. Speed is where Chip Kelly kind of made his name at. Uh, University of Oregon, putting speed on the field, getting speed in space, allowing talent to make plays. You got to make a run on these local kids. You guys like the Markham Twins. You know, you got to be right in the thick of it for them. Of course, we know Arizona State with Antonio Pierce being there. Like you said, GB is probably the leader. But man, if I'm UCLA, man, uh, I'm on the Markham. I'm on their doorstep daily to try to get them to come to Westwood. I, I agree, and, and you mentioned the speed thing and. The- it was kind of interesting, you know, just watching the Centennial game, and I know we'll get the game recaps later, but since you talked about Chip Kelly and what they're looking for, UCLA is one of, the, one of the few schools out west that hasn't offered Gary Bryant yet. And, yeah, he's a junior, and, yeah, you want to see three games, but, dude, this guy was absolutely electric over the weekend. Three touchdowns, all three were over 50 yards, all three were running after the catch. You, you just talk about just watching Gary, and you kind of think back to, you know, to what Chip wants in an offense and a playmaker and just screams Gary Bryant's name. So uh, you got to assume that might offer, that might offer, uh, might come down the line. But right now, you know, schools like USC and Washington are going to have a little bit of a lead on UCLA just because they were in on him early. They are prioritizing him. And yes, there's two years to go, but, you know, the way recruiting is so sped up, man, you got to, you got to get on these guys now. I mean, who's to say Gary won't commit, you know, six, seven weeks from now? Chris Hudson. One of the elite junior receivers, he's already off the table. Juniors are st- with a new signing day in December. Now all of a sudden we're starting to see, you know, if you're a junior, everything is sped up because that early signing period in December, you're taking your trips early on, so you can't wait around too long. You can you can wait, you can evaluate, but you can't wait too long. No, I'm with you, and like you said, I think that early signing period has a, a lot to do with it. Guys are locking in their spot, and that's something for people to think about. Giles Jackson taking a step back, taking his time. That's one way to look at it or one way to do things. A guy like Chris Hudson committing early, locking down his spot is another way to do things. But remember, you're dating at this point. The school can back off and tell you, hey, I don't want to date you anymore. I want to date somebody else. Or the player can back off, right? Um, Locking down your spot is one thing, but, you know, a scholarship offer is only as good as the day it was offered, the next day, it could be off the table. So you have to continue to perform at a high level and continue to earn the right to be committed to a school and a scholarship offer kind of as your season, junior season and senior season go on. But nevertheless, that early signing period has definitely changed the dynamic of recruiting. We're seeing the effects of it now, GB. No, you know, you know what's funny? To kind of piggyback on, on your point about 
you know, the offer's only good the day it's given out. You know, a lot of the, there's always the, the kind of the criticism of seven on seven. Oh, you know, those offers aren't committable. You know, the, the deal is, you know, no offer is committable. Right. It's offered committable for one day, basically. But, you know, the seven on seven, you can get an offer from seven on seven, but you cannot sustain it unless right. you kill it in the pads. But I tell you what, because I know we're going to get we're going to get the stat stars pretty soon here, Keith. Yeah. Or do we have our sleepers? I don't want to jump ahead on you. But I, I always the, the 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 whole the crowd of wait till we get in pads crowd, and they usually say that because they have a player or a son or somebody who doesn't do well in seven on seven. Well, wait till we get in the pads. I've always seen. I saw it last weekend. The guys who do well in seven on seven. Guess what? They typically do well in pads also. And a lot of my stat guys for this week were guys that we liked a lot over the spring and summer. Same thing with linemen. The linemen that do well in the linemen competitions, guess what? They do well with pads on, too. So if you can play, you can play. doesn't really matter what the setting is. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And uh, I think this key word you, you use was sustained. The scholarship can be sustained through your play in pads. Um, or it can be lost through your play in pads. And uh, that's just how we're rolling. It's 2019. Things are different than they were when when I played, Greg. Um the recruiting calendar, you know, the whole deal is different. And so this is how we're rolling. It's 2019 and uh, it's just the way it is. So GB, hey, thank you very much for all the recruiting updates. Really like the new commitments. Darren Jones, Jordan will score. And uh, man, it's, it's exciting to see these young guys commit to schools that they've been dreaming of and going to move forward and, and go on and hopefully have a terrific career. So congratulations to all those kids who are out there doing their thing. And uh, I'm excited for them. So, GB, right now, it's time for our Sleeper of the Week. It's time for our Sit and Sleep Sleeper of the Week. Really want to thank our guy, Larry Miller. He's allowing us to showcase unknown prospects that need to be brought to the spotlight. Larry is all about family and community, and his support is helping to change the lives of young players across the country. Each week, young men are getting scholarship offers after being featured on this show. So thank you, Larry. When we have business and a man that is really interested in the community, we need to show our support right back at him. Sit and Sleep is the only place that offers advanced sleep technology. Greg? Body diagnostics. That's five-star stuff. This is high-quality stuff. Lay down on a mattress, and within seconds, thousands of sensors can help you find the absolute right mattress for you. Wow, within seconds? Seconds. Man, that's awesome. Sit and Sleep. They'll beat anyone's advertised price or your mattress is free. Appreciate you, Larry Miller. Thank you, Larry. All right, our sleeper of the week this week comes from Alamany High School. Really like this kid. I think he's been to a couple of schools already. I think he was at Bosco early in his career. Then he was at Cathedral. Now he's at Alamany. 2019 running back Omari Gary. Omari Gary, 2019 running back, 5'11, 190 pounds. Speed, quickness, power can shake you and break you down at will. Really like his ability um, inside the tackles, outside on perimeter. Terrific running back coach, Allende Bomani, doing a great job developing talent over there at Alameda now, previously at Chaminade. But Amari Gary had a big game last week. Um, this kid's a natural with the football, Greg. He's got the quick feet. He can bounce it. He can hit it up inside for the tough yards on third and one or, or fourth and goal uh, near the two-yard line. He's got a nice blend of power, speed, a little bit of shake and some patience to go along with that with pretty good size. So Amari Gary, 2019 running back out of Alamany High School. The transparent truth sit sleeper of the week. Congratulations. 
Yeah, I like Omari Gary too. I liked him at Cathedral last year, and it's good to see. You know, Casey Cross is going to use him. You know, he's a he's an offensive guru, and he's got a nice quarterback in Miller Moss. You kind of have a nice compliment out of the backfield and Amari Gary. That's a nice little offense right now. They got a good offensive line out of the West up front. Yes. Watch out for Alamany. They got. They'll, they'll, they'll put some points on the they board. They got a sure. big freshman kid up over there. You better look out for Polynesian kid. You better look out for him. I'm telling you now. He'll be a national well, recruit in no time. You got a you got a name for us with this? I do, but there's no way for? I can pronounce it because I haven't practiced it. But <laughs> trust me, I'll bring it to the table sooner than later. But I'm not even gonna try right now because I would absolutely butcher it and I don't want to embarrass myself or the kid's name. So uh with all that being said, G B, it's time for our top performers from last week. I'll start it off, G B. Um, let's go. Let's rip it. Let's go in Southern California first, which is our hometown, so we're going to bring it like we always do. Peter Costelli of Santa Margarita, quarterback, 23 of 29, 317 yards, and six touchdowns in a 59-21 win over Downey. Also, you talked about this kid earlier, Keon Markham, Long Beach Poly, 89-yard kickoff return for a touchdown, 39-yard reception for the dynamic two-way player, Keon Markham, out of Long Beach Poly. GB, go ahead. Let's go to Westlake High School. How about the job that they did? Marco quarterback Marco Satterman, sixteen to twenty-seven, three twenty-five and four touchdowns. Keith, how about his wide receiver slash running back slash kick punt returner Jason Heller? Yes, sir. With six catches for two oh five and three touchdowns in a big win over CRK. I believe he also rushed for a touchdown in that game. So Nice job by a couple of Westlake Warriors. Back to you. No doubt. Let's take it to the game I went to. We'll talk at Clark Phillips. I thought he was the best player on the field on Friday night. He looked really, really good. Uh, as a receiver, he caught for over 100 yards and two touchdowns, one on a slant, one on a seam route. Um, he also intercepted a slant route, guarding Taj Davis. Speaking of Taj Davis, he caught two touchdowns. Uh, also want to shout out. Um, Mitch Anderson, the wide receiver at La Habra, had a big game, over 120 yards receiving. Uh, he was beating man coverage across the field, down the seam, on the sidelines all night long. That speed really showed up, GB. You know, I'm going to piggyback your Keon Markham with Elijah Dolphin from Long Beach Poly, 6'2", 240-pound defensive end. How's this for a night? How about three sacks yeah. and a pick six? Yes, sir. Took one to the house, recovered a fumble, and forced a fumble. How often do you see a D-lineman with three sacks and an interception for a touchdown? So, nice job by Elijah Dolphin. Yeah, I really liked him when I saw them in the springtime. So, now he's a he's a big kid that can run. He's athletic with some explosiveness. He'll be on people's recruiting radar really, really soon. Let's take it to Fountain Valley quarterback Josh Stupin. 403 yards, four touchdowns. He lit it up. Let's take it to St. Bonaventure, Bonaventure. Kai Rojas, a 46-yard uh, punt return for a touchdown. A 99-yard interception return for a touchdown. 25-yard receiving touchdown and a 5-yard rushing touchdown. He scored touchdowns in four different ways. My boy Kai Rojas went over there and blew up big time. GB, go ahead. How about Jaden Daniels? Just how efficient is this for a first half? 10 of 11 for 207 and five touchdowns. Also rushed for 78 yards and one more touchdown. Not a bad first half as Cajon blew out the number one team in San Diego, Helix. What happened to Helix in that one? I want to say like 35-3. to three. How about J.P. Andrade staying with the quarterback team out of Bonita High School? 22-32 for 332 yards, two touchdowns. Also rushed for a touchdown. His key target, I like this name, Keith, Cade Kadem. 
If your last name is Kadam, C-A-D-A-M, mm. why not name your kid? Why not name your kid Cade, right? Just right. Keep, it, keep it simple. He caught seven of those balls from Andrade for 190 and a score. So nice job by Cade and nice job by J.P. Andrade. What do you got? I got Ryan Halinski, Ryan Bo Halinski, quarterback Orange Lutheran, number one pocket passer in the country, 295 yards and three touchdowns in the opening game win. We also have from the Fresno area, Jalen Cropper from Buchanan, the transfer, two receiving touchdowns and an interception. Like you talked about before, Gary Bryant, Centennial High School, the wide receiver, probably the player of the week, if I had to pick one. Nine catches, 264, three touchdowns, and he was a yak monster. That's yards after the catch, everybody. Monster. Gary Bryant, one of the biggest playmakers in the country, regardless of class, no doubt he's a baller. GB, go with it. How about this? How about let's go to Mission Viejo High School? How fun is next week going to be? But that's going to of myself. Joe Yellen, quarterback, 15 to 22. Love that efficiency. 224, two touchdowns. Big game for Jamari Farrell. Missed most of the season last year. He's back. Had 100 yards on just eight carries and a touchdown. Jojo Forrest, seven catches for 135 and a touchdown. Then, of course, Achille Arnold's got to make a big play. 96 yards, interception return. But Peter Costelli next week, Keith, former Bosco quarterback. Joey Yellen, former Bosco quarterback. Bosco, Bosco. They will play each other. Yeah. Santa Margarita, Mission Day. It's going to be like the battle of the former Bosco backups. No, I like both kids, though. No, Joey listen. Is, uh, oh, Joey yeah. Big time. And, dude, Pete mentioned him, dude. He's just a sophomore. The guy's yeah. got so much upside. I know Chad Johnson was raving about him. So that'll be a fun game next week. Yeah, no doubt. Want to take it to Alamany really quickly. Trevor Ojo, Alamany, three sacks. Okay. Three sacks on the night. Take it to Oxnard. Quarterback Vincent Wiley. I really liked this kid. Liked him last year. He lit up our top performers list a few times. 10 of 14, 200 yards, and four touchdowns all in the first half. He also ran for a touchdown. If you count that up, that's five total touchdowns. He balled out. Take it to a game that I went to. Uh, last week, the Oaks Christian Chaminade game. Running back Zach Sharman, they really showed out. 185 yards, three touchdowns, broke two long ones where he showed great speed, elusiveness, and power. Sharman, the All-American, the Pro Football Hall of Fame Academy All-American. Again, three touchdowns on the night versus a pretty good Chaminade defense. Uh, but Oaks Christian got the win, and Sharman got his money. Take it to Paraclete really quickly. Nick Wyatt, quarterback, 21. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, not a quarterback. Running back, 21 carries, 208 yards. Also had a receiving touchdown of 85 yards, five total touchdowns. Listen, you know Dean Harrington is always going to have a kid or two blow up every week. He's an offensive genius. He's going to find a way to get his guys the ball. Nick Wyatt is the next guy up and running for Paraclete High School. GB, go with it. I want to piggyback on your Oxnard quarterback, Vince Walea. Yep. How about J.R. Waters, the Oregon commit? Yes, sir. Six of those catches for 138 and two touchdowns. You know, we had talked about what, how gifted J.R. Waters is, but I want to see more production. I'll take six for 138 and two touchdowns. Man, I'll take that every single game. How about in a losing effort, J.R. Canyon fell to a really good Westlake team, but E.J. Gable, a guy we mentioned a lot last year on the show, 25 carries for 160 and two touchdowns. He kept them in the game. How about a game that I was at? Tariq Luckett for Jay Sarah. Only played the first half, got some cramps that set the second half, but he had two touchdowns. And, dude, the thing that shocked me, he played blanket defense. He went out and played cover corner on John Humphreys, who's a gifted 6'5 junior receiver from Colonel Mar, and did a great job. Really held Humphreys in check. I didn't even know Luckett could play corner. He kind of told me after the game that was like a secret weapon. Yeah. So he kind of unleashed on people. 
I'll tell you what, 6'2", Tariq Luckett, man, he looked real smooth, real natural. So not just the two touchdowns, but the blanket defense for Jay Sarah. And let me tell you, Keith, they are legit. Man, that team is for real. I know it. I know it. We've been talking about it all offseason, GB. And speaking of Tariq Luckett, he played a little corner last year when needed and did a really nice job. Wasn't as natural as you're talking about, but you could tell the skills and ability were there. Um, so it's good to see him capitalize on that and playing some lockdown defense. Really love a couple of the corners on that team. Really like a lot of guys on the team. We'll talk about that later. Let's go to Capo Valley. Nathan Manning, the quarterback, 20 of 29, 340 yards and a touchdown. Big time game by him. Anthony Cooper, the cornerback from Aquinas, three interceptions in his first game. Really nice job. Let's go to Gar High School near my house. Jordan Simpson, the quarterback, 386 yards passing and eight touchdowns. GB broke a school record. That's a big-time game in the first game as a transfer. Um, and then we'll talk Brandon Jordan, Cathedral High School, 20 carries, 161, two touchdowns. Got his ball on. My last guy from SoCal, Kingston Halla, the quarterback out of Paramount. Four touchdown passes, seven one eighty and eight yards. Great job, Kingston Hala from Paramount. I'm going to go to Mayfair High School, Keith. They got a guy who goes by the name of Josh Calvin. Yes. How's this for a night? Twelve of fourteen. Yes. For two sixty four and five touchdowns in a big fifty to fourteen win over Long Beach Wilson. Josh Calvin looking smooth, looking really good. How about Anthony Munoz at a Western High School in the Orange County area? Seventeen to twenty seven for three forty and a score record. Seven touchdowns, Keith. You know, you know, kind of throw this out there, too. How about a 4.5 GPA? Nice. Like two of mine combined right there with that 4.5. <laughs> nice job, Anthony Munoz. How about Norco, DJ Ford, running back, rushed for 229 and a touchdown. A nice, efficient night for Shane Illingworth as well. He threw three touchdowns, close 200 yards. One of my favorite quarterbacks. I think it's really underrated. Only has a few offers, but no real big BCS offers yet. Weston Egan from West Ranch. He was 13 of 18 for 288 and two touchdowns. His favorite target was Jovan Camacho, who caught eight balls for 203 and two touchdowns. But, man, Weston Egan, this guy's got D1 tools and size, 6'2", real fluid in his release. Works out with my guy, Danny Hernandez. Man, Weston can play a little bit. How about a guy we talked about a ton last year, Keith? Remember this name, one of our favorite names? How about Zaquan Irby? Oh, yeah. Out of Ganesha. Ganesha. He had a nice little night. How about 34 carries for 281? And four touchdowns. He had 31 touchdowns last year, so not a bad start for him. And got to mention a few kids from modern day. Not a great opening night offensively, but they did run the ball pretty well. So Kobe Harper, 162 and two touchdowns. Sean Dollars, 119 and three. And he had an 87-yarder called back because of holding. But I don't know if you saw some of those Brew McCoy highlights. <laughs> it's scary. There, there's nobody in the country who does what Brew McCoy can do. Nobody. There's not a single guy who can do what he does on both sides of the ball. It was insane. Two sacks on defense. Shut out of a cannon. Looking like Vaughn Miller, I guess you called him before. Yeah. Offensively, six catches for 55 yards. And the guy can block. He can catch. He can run up the catch. He can get up the quarterback. Love big Brew McCoy. Again, the most unique skill set in the country. And it's not even close. Yeah. No problem calling him. He's the best football player in the country. We're not talking prospect. We're not talking projection. I'm talking a football player. I'm going with Brew McCoy over anybody. Um, so, hey, modern day, we'll talk a little bit about that as we move forward here, especially on Friday, the matchup show. They got a big matchup with Gorman. I'll be there on the sidelines, excited about it. 
Excited about being in Vegas as well. GB, let's take it to San Diego real quick. I got a couple guys. How about Jack Bosman, Santa Fe Christian? He's a Yale-bound, Yale-committed quarterback. I'm sorry, he's not a quarterback. My, my, my fault. Jack Bosman from Santa Fe Christian. He's a kicker, GB. He had a 39-yard field goal in overtime to win the game for his team. So I had to shout him out. Let's go with Julian Stafford, Morse High School. He's a running back. Athlete, 39-yard touch uh, interception for a touchdown. He had a 53-yard punt return for a touchdown. He had a big game. Austin Nicholas, La Costa Canyon High School. Listen to this for a stat line. Five sacks. How about that? That, that works. And then we'll go Robbie Ramos from Escondido. Four touchdowns, three rushing, one passing. He's the quarterback. All three rushes were one-yard plunges, but he also threw one, so I had to show him some love. Take it to NorCal real quick. Jalen Fresh Eisen from Moreau Catholic. He had a kickoff return and 200 yards rushing in his first varsity game. That's a big-time game. We talked a little bit about Giles Jackson earlier. Let's talk about him now, GB. The Freedom High School athlete. Three touchdowns, including an interception return for a touchdown. Caught a touchdown, and he ran a touchdown. Grant Harper, 2020 quarterback. Excuse me. Yeah, from Campolindo. Quarterback from Campolindo. 375 passing yards and five touchdowns. Max Schoenberger, 2019 receiver from Capilendo. Listen to this, GB. Eight catches, 222 yards, four touchdowns. And he just got moved to receiver a week before the game. De La Salle, defense, five turnovers. Okay? Shout out Shamar Garrett, who had two picks. And then Amir Wallace, the kid you talked about who locked down on Clemson-bound Joe Nagata. Amir Wallace playing lockdown defense for my guy Nate Kenyon in that De La Salle defense over there in Concord. So shout out those guys. Jordan Cobbs, San Leandro, eight catches, 166 in the touchdown. Our guy from Liberty High School, GB, Jay Butterfield, three touchdown passes. Then you got Joshua Scott. From Deerfield Valley, 29 carries, 216, and four touchdowns. A couple guys left. Jacoby Harris from Tennyson High School, 10 carries, 150 yards, six touchdowns. And his partner, Quincy Bass, nine carries, 143 yards. So shout out to Tennyson's offensive line. GB, you got anything? I think I got a couple San Diego guys. You were rolling through those guys so fast. You might have spit these guys out. Did you mention Gunnar Gray from University City? I did not. He's a 2020 quarterback. He threw for 400 yards and six touchdowns. So watch out for this guy out of the 2020 class. Also out of the San Diego area from Kearney High School. Another 20 quarterback, Kenyon Williams, 21 to 33 for 336 and five more scores. And then Cale Patterson from Orange Glen, which is in the Escondido area. He rushed for 225 and two touchdowns. Also caught six balls for 123. And one more score. So nice job with those Sago kids. And I want to second your emotion on Amir Wallace. Again, my guy Nate Kenyon sent me the videotape. And, dude, this kid was legit. Blanket coverage on Big Joe Nagata. Amir Wallace, they got three D1 DBs that secondary at De La Salle. They got a big-time linebacker, Henry Toto. Dude, De La Salle, man, nobody will hold Folsom. In fact, I would love to go back in time to see when the, when the last time anybody shut out Folsom. You got to search for that. Nothing. Right. They usually score 40 without even trying hard. So right. 
Watch out for those Spartans. They're kind of the Corona Centennial of the North. I mean, those guys, they're going to put up 40, 50 points, you know, every week. And to be shut out was very, very impressive. Really quickly, I want to finish off this top performers list. I got in Arizona, five-star quarterback. I don't know if, if 247 happens five-star. I think he's a five-star kid. Spencer Rattler. I'm just talking about quarterback. I'm not talking about projection. I'm just talking about football player, five-star football player. Spencer Rattler, 338 yards, five total touchdowns. This kid has been a state champion in football and in basketball, and he just does it big every time out. Uh, Higley quarterback Spencer Brash, he's a Cal commit. He threw for seven touchdowns. That's a big-time game for him. And then Tywee Walker, Centennial High School in Arizona. He's a transfer from Vegas, four touchdowns. Uh, caught a couple screen passes, took it to the house, ran a couple. He was big time, 2020 kid. So those are my top performers from Arizona, and those are our top performers from the West Coast. GB, you got anything else? Yeah, no, Spencer Brash. That was that must have been some game. That was they played against St. Harrington. That was the Paraclete game. Yeah. And, uh, that would have been a fun one to see. Looked like it was a basketball game, just going back and forth, back and forth. So I think uh, I think Paraclete will be fine. And Spencer Brash is legit, so I'm not surprised to see him go off in week zero. Yeah, no doubt about it. So those are our top performers here on the Transparent Truth. Every week, if you ball out, you're going to get that call out. We're going to call you out. We're going to show you some love. The Transparent Truth, that's how we do. All right. And for those of you who didn't ball out, come back next week, bounce back, and get some love on the show. Uh, top performers every week, week in and week out here on Wednesday's Transparent Truth. GB, it's time to get to some game recaps, my friend. Which ones we going after first? Uh, you know what? Why don't we start off with the game that you were at Thursday night? Did you see Goat Huffman on the sidelines? He was at that one as well. Did you see Big Big B Huff? Yes, Oak, I Oak did. Christian Shamanad? Absolutely, I did see Big B Huff for a minute. Um, I'm sure he was probably circulating the field as he normally does. I was kind of in one area, but let's talk a little bit about that game. Started off with it was the Blake Anzalato show early in the first quarter, okay? It was, three, I think, three or four possessions. He probably had seven total tackles, and he was bringing the wood. He was downhill, and he was sticking Zach Charbonnet. And Oaks Christian could not find running room in the interior or the outside. It didn't matter. Blake was downhill being the jackhammer that he is. But on the flip side of that, Shamanai couldn't generate much offense, all right? Kayvon Thibodeau was in the backfield. Charbonnet had an early sack. Uh, Stevens was trying to move around a little bit, but just couldn't find enough space. They got the running game going a little bit, kind of, I believe it was like the second quarter or so. They got to that eye kind of pitch, power pitch that Coach Croson likes to run. And they got downhill. I think they broke a touchdown run. There just wasn't any consistency for Chaminade. Oaks Christian eventually made a couple plays with Charbonnet on the counter on the trap handing the ball off inside he broke a couple tackles uh, sidestep a couple guys and hit some long balls and that was the difference in the game Oaks Christian had a guy that could break it open Chaminade did not have a guy offensively that could break the game open they had to plug away for every they had to fight for every yard and it just caught up to them at the end they didn't have any explosiveness on offense and Oaks Christian did they had the better athletes on the offensive side of the ball and um, Zach Charbonnet 
Great job by him. 185 yards, three touchdowns. Kayvon Thibodeau finished the night off with a big-time sack off his tremendous rush off the offensive left side. And uh, Shamanahan did a pretty good job on him, mixing it up. They doubled him. They singled him. They blocked down on him in their eye-wing pitch. Um, gave him problems. Gave like they did last year. Gave him trouble. But in the end, Oaks Christian pulled it out, GB. It was a good game, though. It was a, it was a good game, kind of until the fourth quarter. Jalen Fisher, cornerback from Chaminade, really showed up big, though. Number seven, about five foot ten. Uh, he made plays, man. And when the plays were made against their defense, they weren't against him. He was all over people. So I'm, I'm curious. So, you know, Josh Calvert, who obviously he's a next level linebacker. Yeah. Look at the stats right now, nine of twenty eight for, for one thirty five. And obviously, you know, Oaks, you can you can ride Charbonnet. You know, he's a top five running back nationally for us. He's going yeah. to Michigan. Yeah. You got a game breaker at receiver with Bryce Farrell. Was it a case of was Calvert a little bit off? You mentioned the blanket coverage by Shamanad secondary. Would they yeah. do a good job covering those guys? It, it was a mixture of passing game a concern at all for you for Oaks because seemed like Oaks got has the defense. Yeah, they have the headliner at the defensive end. They got linebackers. They got dudes. Do they have? Does the passing game concern you enough? Uh, if you make them one dimensional. Is that a concern? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. Let's be honest. Josh Calvert is, is a linebacker playing quarterback right now. And uh, every ball comes out hot, right? Uh, it's it's a bomb, you know, down the field, a streak. It's, it's coming out hot. It's a square yeah. in. It's coming out hot. It's a stop right. It's fast Everything fast is a fastball, yeah. man. He's about to tear Bryce Farrell's – Bryce Farrell, tear his hands off with the football. Passing game was not on, was not in sync. Of course, Charlie Collins, head football coach, he's got a background on the offensive side of the ball, so hopefully he can get that thing in order. But defensively, I was a little disappointed. Um, I thought Josh would be more aggressive. I thought he'd be more in tune defensively. Maybe the offensive side of the ball kind of got into his head. He wasn't as impressive on defense as i like him to be. Uh, he wasn't as physical. He has to come downhill, be more aggressive. He's got to come down here, ready to hit, wrapping it, guys, to the ground. Um, I want to see more out of him on the defensive side of the ball. That's for sure. And then offensively, he's got to understand how to tempo his throws just a little bit. I mean, everything can't come out as a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. And they were not efficient offensively in the passing game. They make, Bryce Farrell made a couple plays. But again, Charbonnet, you know, he beat the box with his feet, with his power, um, sidestepping guys, breaking a couple tackles, and hitting some big home runs. Yeah, no, Zach's made a, a big leap in his game. He just looked quicker from some of the highlights I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And that was there, was there was never a concern, but, you know, you kind of wondered, just, hey, is this guy a game breaker? But, man, that guy looks like he's a special talent. Hey, how about a game that I think we all thought would be a little bit closer? Let's go over to the islands of Hawaii. Yeah. How about St. Louis? You're taking Narbon by the woodshed and just embarrassing them, forty-seven to seven. And talking to some of my some of my brothers from Hawaii, it could have been ninety to seven if they wanted to be. Yeah, it, it was a case of they couldn't block Nar, they couldn't block St. Louis at all. Right. And, and there's no you know harm in that. St. Louis is really good up front. Jordan Botello, uh, yeah. by two and two Atelli, yeah. Stanley McKenzie, Gino Pionis, USC commit. They got dudes up front, but. It was just a case of just they got overwhelmed. Five sacks in the first half for St. Louis. It wouldn't have mattered who was playing court. You know, Jalen Henderson struggled a little bit. Yeah. Three interceptions. I was told it wouldn't have mattered who played quarterback just because you've got one second to throw and then you're getting lit up. Yeah. They weren't able to run the ball. They couldn't throw the ball. 
it was a uh, and and St. Louis is good. They would be for me. They would be a top ten team in California. If they didn't go lose to a bunch of you know Hawaiians, I've seen some people say, "How do you lose a bunch of Hawaiians?" I mean, St. <laughs> Louis is not your typical Hawaiian team. No. They are legit and they got a great system. Cal Lee is kind of like our you know our Bruce Rawlinson over here. He's okay. a legend and the, on the islands. He's been around there forever. St. Louis, <laughs> they win titles every year. Them and Kahuku are the two teams. But man, that is, you got to regroup really, really quick. You got Long Beach Poly this weekend, and uh, you better be licking your wounds and, and getting ready to go because you got to play a lot better than you did against St. Louis to beat Long Beach Poly this, this coming weekend. Yeah, you know, in retrospect, GB, I think they were primed to get their butts kicked. If you think about it, they have some inexperience up front. And that defensive line for St. Louis, like you talked about, is real. Okay? They are real. And they can play with anybody in the country, bar none. Secondly, you're starting a true sophomore quarterback on the road. Not just on the road. You're on the road in Hawaii versus, like you said, a top 10 talented team that you can't block up front. So it was kind of a recipe for disaster in terms of if I'm looking at that as a coach. One thing that you'd have to do is make sure that you protected the young quarterback and got him off in rhythm into a good start. Didn't seem like that happened. The highlights that I saw, they were teeing off. All right, these kids are coming off the edge and they're hammering him. And they're also taking away, you know, his his first option. So once first option was taken away, he was getting hit. And um, like you said, I don't care who your quarterback was. It could have been Tom Brady. You wasn't going to win that game. That team was just, they played better. They were better. And um, Narvon's got to bounce back. There's no doubt about it. They, we know they have talent, big-time talent, but it all starts up front, Greg. I don't care how many receivers you have. I don't care how many quarterbacks, running backs you have. It starts up front. I don't know how many times I have to say that. You have to be able to block somebody. Just go ask Sam Darnold in USC when they played Ohio State in the bowl game where he looked like trash because they couldn't block him, Right. You got to be able to put a hat on a hat and win one-on-one battles. And if you don't do it, you're going to get mopped. And that's what not happened to Narbonne. They need to look their wounds. They need to bounce back. They got the Jackrabbits this week. And the Jackrabbits, from all intents and purposes, from what I've heard, they look pretty good against Dorsey. Dorsey's not that great. We all know that. But this is a great measuring stick this week for Polly, playing against a Narbonne team who's coming home with some humble pie in their mouth. And uh, let's see if they can get off, get up off the mat and um, and fight back, GB, and stop talking about all this recruiting hype and get to playing some football. Yeah, you, you know, the irony, though, is up front is where, you know, I, I literally just read an article two weeks ago talking about Narbonne and how good they were supposed to be up front. Offensive line, they got... I want to say like three guys coming back, including an All-American and Jonah Talanu. They're huge up front. That was supposed to be one of their strengths. And obviously, offensive line is all about not just individual matchups. It's about Jalen as a line. It's yes. about being in sync. Probably talked about modern day's line so much last year. So what I thought was going to be a strength for them ended up being an area where they got exposed. So like again, hopefully it was just a one-week deal. Props to St. Louis for doing what they do. Again, they got six D1 guys in their front seven. Yeah. And and they're really good. They, they get after it. Again, the Stanley McKenzie kid, watching his tape, he's a 2020 kid. Mm-hmm. The guy's ridiculous. Yeah. Batu Atuatelli can play for anyone in the country. He's Bama's, maybe Bama's number one D tackle target. They got a guy going to USC, 
Gino Kionis. They got yeah. Joram Batello, one of my favorite linebackers, who just blitzes every off the edge every play, and he plays with mean intention. So they'll rebound. Hopefully, they do. Props to St. Louis and uh, Narbonne probably got a whole lot more interesting. That's for sure. Yeah. How about we? How about we go to another? Uh, uh, I don't want to say. Uh, surprise, but I, I thought this game would be a little bit closer, too. In fact, Centennial was an underdog against Chandler of Arizona. Chandler came in ranked number 10 in the country. I think Centennial came in rated number 17. That's by uh, Max Prep. But <laughs> Centennial, Centennial beat them 35-13, to 13, and again, the game wasn't as close as that score. I think Chandler punted 10 times in this game, and... Centennial, surprisingly, Keith, they didn't run the ball that well. They didn't have, I don't think they had more than 150 yards rushing. Usually you, you see Kinslow and Cortez with 100 each. Sure. But Gary Bryant was the show. And it, 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 he, you know, all three of those touchdowns, man, run out to the catch, made guys miss, took a skinny post to the house. You know, they rotated both quarterbacks, Michaela and Freeland. I think I read an article, they're going to keep continue to do that. Yeah. I would usually say bad idea, but with Matt Logan and Centennial, you say, sure, yes, sir. That's Doesn't right. matter if they rotate five quarterbacks, Matt will make it work. They've done it before a few years ago when they had Ketteringham and, um, God, who was my guy? He was kind of on the smallest side. Yeah, Catalano. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Catalano. I, I, yeah, Catalano. But the defense was really impressive, and, and that's, everyone's been talking about this Centennial defense, which yeah. we haven't been talking about Centennial's defense a lot saw some steps last year that got better this year the D-line as you talked about quite a bit yeah. the back end was very very good Stevie Nemoa at linebacker they, they're, they're going to have five or six legit D1 guys yeah. on that defense if not more including you know a guy like Drake Jackson who can turn around a game so Centennial not to get ahead of ourselves Keith playing at Orange Lutheran this coming weekend oh yeah man Oh, that yeah. is going to be, I, I would say that, that's a code game of the week. We all know Marty Gorman, that's what they're going to be, but you got to put that Centennial Orange Blue game as a code game of the week. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch those two teams going after it. Yeah, listen, a lot of fun. And a couple things I want to touch on, GB, that you just talked about, and as, that was all good stuff by you. Max Preps, Chandler 10, Centennial 24, and this is no shade to Max Preps, no disrespect, but I knew Centennial wasn't 24. I knew Chandler wasn't better. Um, I'm not sure why they had Chandler ranked in front of Centennial, but again, you better put some respect on Matt Logan's name. Put some respect with a K on that man's name. And if you come to Corona to play him, you know he's going to tap that bottom. Okay? So that's first and foremost. Secondly, to the coaches poll who has Centennial 7th, in Division One, I, I say again, you better put some respect on Matt Logan's name. I wasn't, I don't subscribe to the magazine that says Centennial's coming in as an underdog versus anybody, ever. It's either a pick em or Centennial's the favorite. Simple as that. And they went out there and they crushed Chandler. And I haven't seen the entire game, Greg, but the pieces that I have seen, Centennial dominated. And you talked about they weren't able to get a running game going. Chandler committed so many guys to that box. And they left themselves extremely vulnerable, GB, on the back end. They were in man off-man coverage half the time with so many guys in the box. And you're giving Gary Bryant space. This is what happens 
when you have a really good run game. You make the other team commit numbers, you get single coverage, and then you go to your dynamic route runner, your dynamic playmaker, and allow him to showcase his ability. It's, it's, it's all checkers. And Gary Bryant, even though I'm not talking checkers, now I'm talking chess, he said, checkmate. Let me catch it, let me go. Let me catch it, let me go. Nine for 264, three touchdowns. He showed out. And he made challenge DBs look real, real slow and real bad. And uh, yeah. Centennial Huskies, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with everything. It, you know, I, I, I'm not going to throw Max Preps under the bus. They actually had Centennial 17, not not 24. Okay. But, but I mean, Max Preps, they, 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 they're not right there. They're not in the local scene, right? They're, trying to, they're a national brand. I get that. Right. But how do how do the D one coaches who know Centennial how do I they vote? See, I, I, I give I give match preps a pass, but I don't get how these D one coaches who vote and know on this stuff have them not four, not five, not six, but seven. <laughs> like that to me is absurd. And again, that they must have thought that you know Centennial lost Tanner McKee. They Maybe they don't know about, you know, the defense. They probably assume, hey, in years past, they tend to run with their offense. They used to give up 40, but they scored 50. Can they score 50 this year? Can they win a low-scoring game? Well, shoot. Tell you what. Chandler is a good team. They're going to win 12, 13 games and probably compete for a state title. They're going to average 40 points a game. And Centennial just held them to 13. So, I think you got a good idea just how good Santino's defense is going to be. Yeah. And it's going to be, again, next weekend, Ryan Helensky, Logan Loyal, Kyle Ford, Ethan Ray, Reggie Strong on the back. But I mean, that's going to be a true challenge for both teams. Yes. Man, I wish I could go. I'm going to be in Arizona, Keith. Yeah. A little disappointed in myself. Got to move my daughter into Grand Canyon <laughs> University. But I'm going to try to catch the Liberty of Nevada, the yeah. Guaro game out there in Arizona. Oh, okay. what, man. This is going to be the game of the week. Tape it, Keith. While you're in Vegas, this game is the Fox game of the week. Orange Lutheran and Centennial. Dude, my DVR is already set, baby. Yeah, no. For that one. There's no doubt. I mean, you t- it's tremendous matchups on both sides. But we'll get in that on Friday's matchup show, GB. What's the next game we got on the list? Let's go with Westlake Sierra Canyon. That was a that was an entertaining one. That was a 35-30 to 30 win over Westlake. Westlake was missing about six dudes. Uh, Seth Figgins and a couple linemen that are really good. You know, it's the whole eligibility thing. We've got to wait on, on certain players. But Sierra Canyon hung around, hung around. I, I, I like their players. I like their talent. I, I like Gable. I, I like the quarterback, Shane Perry. Yep. But Marco Satterman had a great game. Jason Heller, great game. Cam Fabi Kalanen, didn't mention him in the stat, uh, stat stars, but six catches, 92 yards. You know what he does on defense? He locks people up as a big corner slash safety. So, nice job by Westlake. I, I tell you what, man, when, when they get healthy and, you know, Gabe Floyd was immediately eligible, they got like four or five more guys kind of just waiting to get eligible. Yeah. Westlake, this is going to be their most talented team in a long time. Sierra Canyon, again, they battled. Again, props to E.J. Gable. 35 to 30, no shame in that. But uh, those Westlake Warriors teams, they could have a special season. Yeah, no, they, they've they got talent. Uh, Coach Kersey's doing a nice job up over there, attracting talent. And, you know, like you said, when they get all their pieces to the puzzle on the field, 
They're going to be able to match up with teams. You know, can Gabe Floyd be that difference maker on defense? Can Cam be that versatile athlete on both sides of the ball making plays? How about my guy Jason Heller? I've been raving about this kid for over a year now, and he shows out game one. 200 yards, four or five touchdowns. I mean, he just lit it up, and I I really like this kid. I saw him actually Thursday night at the Oaks Christian game, and I said, you ready to get going? He said, Coach, I'm about to kill it. And uh, he did. He went out there and did his thing. So shout out to Jason Heller and the Westlake. Are they the Warriors? Yeah, I mean, yeah, so. the Warriors, baby. Yeah, Westlake Warriors. Warriors. All right, and in Sierra Canada, one shot EJ Gable, man. I thought he played a heck of a game. Saw some clips, read the articles, and uh, he played with tremendous heart. Undersized kid, but super tough, and I uh, really represented that Gable name really well uh, versus a big time team. So I think Sierra Canyons on their way to a good season. Westlake Warriors as well, GB. So the game I was at, Jay Sarah and Corona Del Mar, uh, 49-7. Just got to get that out of the way right now. Jay Sarah, 49-7. And, you know, we both picked Jay Sarah. I thought, I thought CDM, you know, good young talent. Uh, mentioned, you know, quarterback. Um, mentioned the receivers. Mentioned the tight end last week on the show, Garbers and Humphreys. Tell you what, man, up front, Jay Sarah has men. Yeah. Among men. On both sides of the ball, you know, the offensive line, Jeffrey Percy, Jack Harlow, who's the son of the head coach, Pat Harlow, um, Ryan Silifu. I apologize if I butchered your name, Ryan, but they are so big and strong and well-coached and in sync, and they were just all over the quarterback on defense. They gave Caden Bell plenty of time. They opened up holes. Chris Street had 110 yards rushing and touchdown. Already mentioned Tariq Luckett had a big game. That this is a good team, you know they got they got players at every level from the secondary linebacker and up front on defense, on offense they got receivers, running backs, a smart quarterback, and an offensive line. And I, I wouldn't be surprised, man. Everyone's saying modern day Bosco, but I would not be surprised if Jay Sierra took one of them out. I wouldn't predict it, but if it if it happened, I would not be surprised because they're good where it counts. They're really good in the trenches and they're really well coached up front mentioned before we got Todd Norman who's an outstanding strength and conditioning coach I mean they're good everywhere you want to be good at they're really good yeah listen we've been you know leaning towards this all off season and you're looking at the talent that they're kind of stacking up at J. Sarah upperclassmen and underclassmen they got as good as a receiving core as you're going to find with those three kids Chris Street is a special running back how, how good did he look GB I'm, I'm anxious to know very good, very good. I mean, he he was he was decisive. Only had ten carries, so right. he averaged over ten yards a carry. Right. Uh, they kind of you know they kind of shut it down in the second half. They were up big at halftime, thirty-five to nothing. So, but I mean, he looked like Chris Street, quick, fast, tough, explosive, powerful, everything. Yeah, I really love him. Victor Clanton, he put out a huddle video of the highlights of his game, and he was knocking the snot bubbles out of people's nose. He did a great job. Jane Genova, the sophomore middle backer, he led the team in tackles with 10. And I talked about last week how that linebacking group is good at J. Sarah. They're productive. They're physical. They get to the ball and they tackle really well. And let me tell you about this. And, and I touched on this kid last week, and I kind of teased it, GB. Samaje Duncan, a 2021 cornerback, special, special football player. 
wears number 44, very reminiscent of another kid who used to wear 44 out here in Southern California who's now playing at the University of Oklahoma and starting as a true freshman, Buki Brendan Radley Howe. You better look out for Zamaje Duncan. This kid is spectacular. Spectacular. He will be a national recruit. He's special. And he is going to lock down some pretty, pretty good receivers in this Division One. Um, that Jay Sarah plays in and also the Trinity League. You better watch out. The kid is big time. We all know about Caden Bell, Columbia committed quarterback. He does a nice job distributing the football. Tariq Luckett went off. And like you said, that O-line, D-line, when I saw him on tape, GB, I said, whoa, these guys are big. They're nasty. They got an attitude. I really liked what I saw from Jay Sarah, Greg. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, the new left tackle, Jeffrey Percy, put up modern day last year as a 235-pound tight end. He, he's now 265 pounds. Yes, I've heard about this, this kid. Put up, he put 30 pounds, put up 30 pounds in the offseason, and he looks like he's still as quick, as athletic. And his highlights from that game he sent me were really, really impressive, too, man. I, and he's just a junior, 2020, so yeah. here's a kid who's just 6'6 six, six and 265, yeah. and he's got feet. How about another game that you're at? You're at the Upland La Habra game, yes. twenty-four to twelve. Upland got that win. Seemed like it was close for a while, and then Upland kind of pulled away in the second half. But uh, give me your thoughts on that game. Sure, um, it was really close throughout, Greg. I thought the game was always kind of in the balance. Uh, it was kind of traded field goals early. Uh, Taj Davis went up top. You know, put kind of Upland ahead. Clark Phillips came back, made a play down the seam, uh, kind of tied up the score or made it really close. Then Taj Davis would score again, go up top. Clark Phillips came back, hit a slant route, I believe, kind of in the third quarter. So it was it was like 14-12 or something like that. Then Cam Davis ripped off a big run after breaking a tackle at the line of scrimmage where the linebacker left his feet. Didn't bring his feet. Didn't didn't bring his feet on contact. Cam Cam Davis broke a tackle. He cut to the outside at the sideline. He showed really good speed. He scored. Um, it kind of made it like eighteen twelve, and then Upland scored a little bit later. Kind of made it twenty four to twelve. La Habra tried to come back in the second half, but the Upland pass rush just kind of got after him. Uh, Zanelli was was hot in the first half, Greg. He was hitting guys. He was reading the field. Mitch Anderson gets great separation as a speed guy. Uh, Clark Phillips was special, I thought. To me, he was the best player on the field that night. And he did a great job making plays offensively, defensively. Once they switched him on Taj Davis, he picked off a slant with a great read, beat Taj to the spot. It was a, it was a terrific matchup all the way around. Um Baby man Justin Froles, talk a little bit about him, made some critical, critical hits. I'm talking bone-crushing hits, uh, coming off the edge as a backer, up the gut, sticking people in the hole. It's a fourth down, Upland's punting, baby man's going down to cover the punt. Returner goes to catch it, but the ball... Uh, I think he drops it, if I remember correctly. So he goes to pick the ball up. As as you're going to pick a ball up, right, you're not standing straight up, right? You bend down to pick it up, and Baby Man hits him, right, kind of with his forearms and kind of with his chest, hits the returner in the head as the returner's bent over, picking up the ball. They end up calling a personal foul and kicking the kid out of the game. 
which he will not be able to play this upcoming week. It was it was a it was a very sobering feeling for me on the sidelines because I'm not sure what Justin Flo could have done to prevent that. He's coming down full speed, going to tackle a guy. Then, you know, in a split second, the guy bends over to pick a ball up and you hit him and they call contact to the head. You're kicked out the game and you lose the game for the next week. I feel bad for him. Um, I thought it was a clean play. There's nothing he could have done to prevent it. And uh, I'm just I'm sad about it because he's such a great player and the fans need to be able to get to see him every week put on a show. Now he won't be able to do it this week. And uh, I got a really brush segment towards the end of our show today just to kind of address it, GB. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm all about protecting kids, but I think they're getting a little bit carried away. Yeah. And I I'm, I'm know you I know you saw the sack. I don't remember the guy's name, but, you know, the Vikings. Sure. Defensive end came off the edge and, and hit Cody Kessler. What was, it was about as clean a, a hit you could possibly have. Head to the sideways, then roll on him, then drive him into the ground, and they called a personal foul on that. You kind of start to wonder, as a defensive player, man, what can you do? Right. You know, what is it going to be a penalty other than maybe just hoping, you know, just a thud? And how many times have you seen a guy try to go in for a thud, the guy bounces off and gets 10 more yards? Yeah, so of course. It's almost like he can't even wrap up anymore. It's, it's crazy. So, now, good breakdown. Um, I was following it on Twitter, and I got, got, you know, obviously our boy Clark Phillips got to send the highlights in. He looked really, really good on both yeah. sides. Uh, Ryan Zanelli, I've always been a big fan of his since the Pop Warner days, so he's smooth. He can go. Yep. How about how about Modern Day uh, beat Bishop Mont forty-two to fourteen? Modern Day had several players not playing this game. Didn't really matter. Uh, mentioned the defense earlier. Kind of carried them. The running game was was very very strong. You know, I think Bryce may have been. Uh, I don't want to say nervous, but first game jitters playing up with the Monarchs and huge shoes to fill. Um, you know, had a couple early turnovers. But I, I like the running game a lot. I like the new offensive line. They look good. Sean Dollars, Jacoby Harper. That's a nice combination between those two guys. Brew McCoy and defense. And Bishop Vermont, I'll be honest, I expected a little bit more. Um, I thought they were a, a top 20 team in the southern section this year. And with Monterey not having, you know, not seeing up several of their starters, I, I thought that might be a, an actual game. But Monterey just uh, a little too good, too strong up front offensively. You know, they they get after it. You know, they're so well coached, and, and they still played a really solid game. Not their best game. I think they'll need to be a little bit more efficient in the passing game to beat Bishop Gorman. And I think they I think they will. I think they'll be a little bit smoother. And defensively, I, I like what I saw. I mean, I love seeing Brew McCoy off the edge. I would love to see him play every snap as an outside linebacker. It, it just back end, they're strong. Linebacker-wise, they were good. Up front, you know, Evan Bennett made some plays, had a pretty solid first game for him in his modern day career. So, Bishop Lamont, just if, I, if I'm them, I don't know if I keep scheduling modern day every game. Maybe you do because it kind of shows you where you're at. But uh, yeah, modern day won that one pretty easily 42 to 14. Yeah, I'm looking at the stats here, GB. It says they ran for 369 yards. Um, and that's pretty impressive. We talked about it last week on the preview show. That offensive line from two years ago when they were all freshmen, when that, that whole 2020 group, is they're now juniors. We're talking about Ty Marks. We're talking about uh, uh, Miles Moreau. We're talking about 
uh, George Mikey Hahn. I mean, that is a really, really good group. Really productive, cohesive. We talked about being cohesive in that, excuse me, that Narbonne game. This is a cohesive unit. Guys who've played together for years, and now they're on the varsity starring together. They're going to be really good. Maybe not as good right now as the group was last year, but they will be really good, I promise you. It shows in game one, 369 yards rushing, and you said a 90-yarder or something like that got called back. So you're talking about a group that could have produced close to 500 yards rushing if that play didn't get called back, GB. Uh, very impressive. Modern-day football. We talked about Brew McCoy earlier. He just looked absolutely ridiculous coming off that edge, catching the football, breaking tackles, making guys miss. Mike Martinez, I saw a couple caught a couple down the middle. Dollars and Harper, they'll be a great one-two punch this year. And, uh, you know, Bryce Young's got to get comfortable. Uh, I tell you, a great place not to get comfortable is Fertitta Field. And uh, so they got to make sure they tighten up this week in practice, kind of get in rhythm in the passing game because the Gales will be loud. They will have unbelievable energy. They'll have a super-duper crowd. And, um, you know, Monday's got to come ready to play, and we'll talk about that on the Friday show. But they take a mop behind the woodshed, and uh, they smack them around like some stepchildren. And now it's on to Bishop Gorman. Yeah, dude, Fertitta Field, man, that's a great student section. One of my favorites that I've been to, like you mentioned, we'll talk about that on the Friday show. How about another woodshed beating of St. John Bosco all over Tempe? Man, I I remember back in the day, 10, 15 years ago, Tempe used to be a squad. They used to come in, and they they would have guys all over the field. They would have explosive playmakers. They were always big up front. They were still big up front. They didn't have any playmakers. No one that really scared you, and – I don't know if you saw any of the, the, the film from this game, but St. John Bosco's defense looked absolutely scary. I mean, these guys, they fly around. Every hit is like a highlight reel hit where they're just blowing people up. They're massive up front. They are really, really athletic at linebacker. The back end, you know, Chris Steele and Trent McDuffie both had a huge hit in this game from their corner position. I mean, we have two corners that are more physical than most teams' defensive line. You got a pretty good defense. DJ threw three touchdowns in the first half. Jake Bailey got a t- cut a bomb. Chris Hudson cut a bomb. Uh, Jude Wolf got a touchdown. All three running backs look good. Over 100 yards for George Halani. I think Sandbeast might have gotten hurt in that game. Limped off, and I, I, I don't know how serious it is. But uh, while we're on the subject of, of talking St. John Bosco, got to throw out some love and some uh, to one of our close friends, Terry Bullock, yeah. who lost his mother right before that game started. So. Everyone who knows Terry, doesn't matter if you're affiliated with Bosco or if you're affiliated with Modern Day, if you're affiliated with with any team in in Orange County, you know about Terry, what a great human being he is. So, uh, you know, prayers up for for Terry and his family. But just keeping it to football, you know, St. John Bosco, man, you knew they would come out fast and hard. You knew they had that eye of the tiger this year. You got revenge in their eyes. It It was one game against a team that wasn't great. Yeah. But... They looked really, really, really strong. Just strong. No, that, that's a beautiful summary, Greg. And I agree with everything you said. I mean, just wow. It, you know, they've got pretty much an all-star team. And they were fast. They were extremely, extremely physical on defense. Jacob Jarnadal, the senior middle linebacker, was laying people out. I mean, Tempview came in. They were outclassed. They were out everything. Bosco's opening up their stadium, and they're just loaded, man. And like you said, and we've talked about all offseason, Bosco has that revenge 
factor. They have that chip on their shirt. They're hungry this year, which I didn't see from them last year. I didn't see this type of performance from the Bosco defense or team last year like they had against Temp View. Those guys were fast. They were physical. They played smart and not chippy. And uh, they look like a University of Miami team from back in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, early 2000s. And uh, they are going to be a serious issue for anybody. Bosco Braves, man, they are for real. And they are coming. <laughs> they are coming, man. For uh, you know, I do I do some some of the section rankings for Fox. And yeah. Just like I, you know, last year I had Bosco one because I felt like you know to be the man you got to beat the man and tell someone beats Bosco, let them be number one, and then Modern Day end up being the number one. I kind of had the same deal this year. I, I have Modern Day number one right now just because they're the defending champ. Tell someone beats them. But I tell you, if those two teams played tomorrow, man, I, I I would find it really hard to pick against Bosco. They looked they looked really really good. Hey Keith, how about we go to another game I thought might be close? Helix. Huh. Over Cajon. Cajon over Helix, my bad. Cajon over Helix. I think I mentioned the score 35 to 3. It was 43 to 3. Yeah. Jaden Daniels only played one half, 10 of 11. Probably had a drop. 207, five touchdowns. I already mentioned his stats. Cameron Forrest had a big game. Daniel Fortune had two touchdowns. Jay Perch had a big game. You know, they only got one catch into Darren Jones, and the offense still moved the ball. Defensively, they look great. Helix, I, I don't know what happened to them. I mean, that one's the number one team from San Diego. I doubt they're going to be in the top five right now, but what the heck happened to them? Did they? Obviously, they had an all-senior class. They had a big-time running back who got hurt in the first quarter. Oh. You mentioned him last week. Watch out Noah. For him. He, yeah. Noah got hurt, did not play. Oh, okay. After the first game. So, I mean, is he worth 40 points, though, for no, your team? No, I mean, absolutely not. Shoot. So, uh, good job by Helix. Uh, good job by Cajon, excuse me. And Helix, got to do better. But, man, watch out for Cajon. They're the number one team in, in Division Three, I believe. Yeah. And they looked it on Week Zero. Yeah, no, they, they beat Helix up. I mean, that was a Mike Tyson beat-up performance. I mean, every time I looked, it was Cajon score. Cajon score. I talked about this on the on the matchup show this past week. I said, look out for Daniel Fortune, the brother of Deshaun Fortune, who played at Wanda and was a San Jose State commit. Daniel Fortune is a big time athlete who is a natural playmaker, and I've seen him ever since he was a young kid. He lit it up, had two touchdowns. Jay, like you said, Jaden Daniels was the star among stars, ten of eleven. Throwing 190, four touchdowns. They didn't even use Darren Jones, the 6'8 stork, that much. But they still lit Felix on fire. And uh, I call him Felix. Helix on fire. But listen, Helix is a defending state runner-up, GB, right? And they, they were supposed are. to they, be... Yeah, they lost the... They lost a Folsom, but right. yeah, they made it, made it all the way to the mistake game. That's hard to do. Yeah, and they came and got totally spanked by the Cajon Cowboys. I'm a Cajon fan. I was last year. They got, they've stocked some talent. They have experience. I think they make a run to state. And I think they, this year they get it done. And they're going to be tough to deal with in Division Three. There's no doubt about that. Got a couple games left. Uh, Servite over Bakersfield, 17-7. My guy Blair Angulo was at this game. I don't know if it was the most 
aesthetically pleasing game in the world to be at. Yeah. A lot of turnovers. I think Bakersfield had like five or six turnovers. Servite, both our touchdowns were on a kickoff return and an interception return for a touchdown. Um, so, but you know what? The Joy Thomas era starts off with a big win. Yeah. Bakersfield, again, they're a traditional power. They got three or four legit D1 guys. Cam Williams, who was going to Washington to play safety. Now, he struggled at quarterback. I think he fumbled three times through the pick six. You know why? Uh, you know why you dubbed took him as a safety, not a quarterback. But Bakersfield, you know they they run that option, which you know balls flying all over the place, and it's hard sometimes in your first game of the year. Sure. To not turn the ball over, but Servite, you know, credit their defense. They played tough. Ender Aguilar, that was a guy who I remember hit from, from Orange Lutheran last year. Yes. Big defensive end, tight end. But Blair talked him up quite a bit as a guy who was making plays, and so. I mentioned it before, I think Servite's going to be good. It might be a year or two away, but I think right now they're kind of building blocks, right, Keith? Just kind of sure. get, the, get the building blocks in place right now. You know, that freshman, when those freshmen come up, you, you got a program. Yep. And, you know, props to Zedekiah Centers with a kickoff return for a touchdown, Carrington Dennis with a pick six for the touchdown. Servite gets it done, 17-7. to seven. You know, one thing that will always keep you in ball games, GB, at the high school level, and really on any level, is physical blocking and tackling at the point of contact. One thing I know about Troy Thomas, he's going to make sure his guys are physical at, at the point, they're going to play with sound technique, and they're going to be relentless to the football. That will always keep you competitive, regardless of your talent level um, in most cases. And so to have them shut out Bakersfield, pick six, kickoff return, shows me a couple things. The defense was physical. They were fast. They were out there hitting. Offensively, they might not ex- execute it at the level that they uh, would would prefer to, but they were sound in the kicking game. Okay, Defense, kicking game, that sounds like a recipe for a win if you're surviving Troy Thomas. So congratulations to those guys. Last one here, Keith. Again, that we did not preview last week. We forgot we were not on our A game. But how about De La Salle taking out a Folsom team? We kind of talked a little bit about it already when we talked about the state stat stars and Amir Wallace. But a 14 to nothing shutout for De La Salle over one of the nation's, not West Coast, nation's most prolific offenses yeah. every single year. And they return a lot of their skill players. Caden Bennett, the quarterback, Joe Nagata. The elite receiver, Daniel Nagata, the elite running back. I mean, it's a good team. NSL shuts them out. Really nice job by the Spartans. And I, I've, I've always felt like in Southern California or in, in, in California in general, I think football is always better when, when Long Beach Poly and, and Denisau are both really, really good. It just seems football is funner. Denisau, you know, they, they dominate up north. Last few years, they, they've kind of took it on the chain from Bosco in modern day. It just hasn't been the same from when I was growing up and, and seeing Dana Sal play against anybody and take them out. It doesn't yeah. matter who or when. I don't know if those days are, are gone because of all the rampant transfers out here, but Dana Sal, man, they're still the class of NorCal. They're still a, a, just a class program, so well coached, so fundamentally sound. And uh, like I said, the man, it's a huge win, 14-0 over a Folsom team that will probably not lose the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, I saw a crazy stat, Greg. They haven't lost to a NorCal opponent since 91. It's been 27 years since they've lost to a NorCal. I mean, that's insane. That's insane. insane. 27 years? I mean, imagine how many games that is 
they take out Folsom, who is, you know, basically their toughest competition. They don't just take them out. They shut them out. And I hear that their defensive line at De La Salle got after the quarterback, Caden Bennett, all day, all night. It really forced him uh, into, you know, very difficult throws, couldn't find receivers. And when he did find receivers, there was lockdown defense being played through a couple of interceptions. That's my guy, Caden. He's a big-time player. He's got a few offers. He's an excellent high school quarterback. But sometimes when you play a defensive line that speeds you up, they can force you into turnovers. That seemed to be what happened playing against that De La Salle front. And uh, kudos to Coach Allen Ball, Henry Toto, the linebacker. How about Isaiah Foskey caught a touchdown down the middle on a little pop pass. And uh, De La Salle gets to shut out victory over a very talented, very explosive Folsom football team from Sacramento. Yeah, no, Dennis Sal's always been kind of like the Folsom kryptonite. I remember Jake Browning, I want to say his sophomore mm-hmm. or junior year, one of those two years. I mean, he was he was doing what he does, yeah. throwing for a billion yards. And when they played Dennis Sal, it was a one-step drop, bang. One-step drop, he yeah. was getting hit. Every, everybody else, then it got looked like taking John Elway. Right. And then senior year, they got put in different divisions, and, and Folsom went and won a state title, and Jake Browning, we know what he's doing now, true freshman starter for Washington. But when they match against Dennis Howe, and, and you're literally getting hit on your drop. Yeah. I mean, as you're taking your drop, you're getting hit. That's, that's, it's tough to complete passes that way. Yeah. Ask Jalen Henderson. He'll tell you. Narbonne will tell you. So, hey, you got to protect the quarterback. But nevertheless, GB, thank you so much, man, for uh, – you know, just dialoguing about these games, recapping these games. Man, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, right now, though, it's time for our Really Bro segment. Oh, come on, man. For real? Really, bro? Oh. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Now look at those that didn't quite live up to the hype. All right, I want to talk a little bit about lowering the head to initiate contact, GB. Now, of course, everybody knows I was a former football player, former football coach, and, you know, some people can call me old school. I think I'm pretty hip to what's going on nowadays in football and techniques and so on and so forth. But when you talk about making a tackle, and I had a conversation, a public conversation via Twitter with uh, someone the other day, and they were talking about how, you know, Keith, you got to have your chin up, and you got to have your hips low, and and I get all that, and I agree with all that. He said, but you can't bend over at the waist, and that's something that I don't agree with. Your power, when you hit somebody, Greg, is in your hips and in your backside. That's where your power is, okay? And unless you're going to jump up and hit a guy, that's when you look like with your chin up, your chest up, and your hips down, like you're doing a squat. That's not how I, I'm going to make contact. I'm going to make contact with my with my with my hips down, but with my hips behind me and my buttocks behind me, shoulders down, chin up, and I'm going to run through the ball carrier. Okay, and right now, the way the rule is described, you cannot make contact first with your head, and. I'm not sure how that's supposed to be because even when I don't hit a guy with my head, my head is going to be a part of contact if I'm in a correct hitting position um, that I feel is correct to be able to deliver a blow to somebody. So I'm not sure how you get around that. And I'm just asking myself, really, bruh? You mean 
what, what, what you talked about with the Minnesota Vikings, the guy goes and hits a guy with his shoulder, and even though his head is involved in the play on the side, we're talking personal foul, right? We're talking personal foul, ejection with Justin Flo. You know, hit a guy in the head. Listen, we got to get this rule cleaned up. It's going to kill football, GB. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what a defender is supposed to do. I know Richard Sherman went off about it. You know, how am I supposed to tackle? This guy's 225 pounds coming at me, and you want me to go hit him with my chest, with my chin up. Okay, Earl Campbell, he showed that that's not how you're supposed to tackle a guy because he's going to put his helmet right into your gut and knock you over and keep running. So, you know, I just got I just got to ask the powers that be, really, bruh? Is this how we're going to move forward in the game of football? Or can we get this cleaned up before we ruin the game of football? I don't know, GB. I don't have all the answers, but I did play the game for 15 years. I do. I did teach the game for 10 years. And I think I got a good understanding of how to hit somebody while keeping yourself protected. Yeah, and the thing that I found interesting about the Justin Flow play and even some of the penalties that are being thrown on, on the defense... How many times have you seen this, Keith, where the offensive player lowers his head and he initiates the contact with his head and you still see the defensive player get called for the for the personal foul? It's just so weird. It's just, yeah, it is becoming really, really tough. I was having flashbacks. I'm just kind of trying to catch myself when you mentioned Earl Campbell. This is the video of his highlight. is my boy, Mike Wiltshire from the Rams. Yeah. Just getting, just getting like Earl Campbell's helmet right into his breastplate. It right. was like, the old Arnold Schwarzenegger movies in Terminator where he shoots a guy and the guy's body just convulses. <laughs> oh, that was my guy. My, oh, my Rams. Yeah. We got to, there was plenty of defensive players from the Rams on those Earl Campbell highlights. That hurts my heart a little bit. Yeah, I just, I just don't know. And, you know, I coach my son's seven-year-old team, and I'm going to end with this. My son is a very linear kid. He's tall for his age. He's got these super long legs, and he's not comfortable bending just yet. And so we've been talking about, you know, keep it, you know, playing with your knees bent, playing low. And to do that, he's got to bend his knees, get his bottom behind him, get his shoulders down up underneath the the chin of a ball carrier, really in the breath, in the chest plate, and run through. And normally, when he tackles, he tackles really high, just because it's natural for him to be high because he's tall. Yesterday, we were at practice, we were in hitting drills, and my seven year old came off on the whistle, and he freaking leveled this kid. He put his shoulder right in his chest. His head and chin were up, but he still made contact with his helmet right to the other kid's shoulder pad, you know, face mask, you know, not top of the helmet, but right above the face mask, still made contact for all intents and purposes. If that was in a game, you know, I'm not sure if that would have been a penalty, given that the rule says do not make contact with the helmet. It was a great hit. I applauded him for it. It was one of the best hits I've ever seen him put on somebody. And I thought it was outstanding. I just don't not sure how to teach it now. I'm not sure what to expect in terms of a call now. I'm just I'm just totally in a very uncertain space as an analyst, as a coach, as a dad, the whole nine. So we got to get this cleaned up for it ruins the sport, GB. That's, that's my point. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it used to be you couldn't lead with the crown of your helmet, right? right. That was the rule. You, said you cannot put your head down and lead because that's where, you know, that's where concussions yes. happen. That's where neck injuries happen. Yes. You hurt your neck, and you can also hit the other guy to the chin and blast him. I, I don't have an issue with hitting a guy with your face mask. All you're doing, you're busting your nose, but you don't really, you're not in danger of paralysis, and right. not to really hurt the, the opposing player if you hit your face mask into his shoulder pad. Yeah. You're hurting yourself more than anyone else, so... Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's got to still be football. It's got to still got to keep the contact in there. Yeah, no doubt about it. So that, that's all I got from a really brush segment. Uh, f- listeners, fans, you know, let's, let's dialogue. Let's discuss, man. Tweet us. Let's talk about it. Let's, hit me with the questions. Let's dialogue it out. See if we can't come to a happy median. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can get to a place where we're all comfortable with and really interpret and understand what's expected of these players so that we can – continue to enforce um, things the way that we would like them to be enforced uh, because there's power in numbers. And at some point in time, we're going to have to make a decision on where this rule is headed. Uh, but with that being said, that brings our show to a close. Thank you for joining the Transparent Truth. It's an exciting show, um, you know, recapping the week zero, top performers, sleepers of the week, really broad, a whole nine yards. Follow my man at Greg Biggins on Twitter. Follow me, Coach Keith underscore MP. Download the show, subscribe to the show, Omni Platform, Radio.com, um, iTunes, we're out there. Without further ado, GB, it's time to bring this baby to a close. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name's Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool.